the legal hour with Ihsan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Higgins here with the Legal Hour, and uh, a very welcome, very warm welcome to the listeners, and thank you for tuning into the Voice of the Cape. Um, tonight we're talking about um, community protests in the face of police violence. We've seen quite a bit of uh, violence lately, you know, on TV. You know, with regard to, I mean, if I if I refer now to places like Bonteville, um, Menenberg, um, and we places like um, Pukap specifically in the last week. And um, we want to examine tonight, you know, some of the legal implications and or the legality of the, the, the violence that's currently, you know, um, you know, that we got caught up in, in the, as a community by certain officials, let's call them um, South African police or city police. In fact, we're going to examine, you know, who's responsible for these things right up to the political level. And uh, in what possibly we've got the lawyers here tonight, we've got social activists here tonight, and uh, we're going to look at some of the, the, the issues and the implications uh, pertaining to this uh, violence against our very, very peaceful communities or generally peaceful communities. So uh, in studio with me tonight, um, I've got um, Nazir Parker, who's, uh, who's no stranger to the legal hours. Assalamualaikum, Nazir. Wa alaikum salam, Ihsan, and to the rest of the listeners. Okay, and Nazir is going to, you know, speak to us on some of the technical aspects of the of the violence against our communities. And then we got, uh, also no stranger to the legal hour, we got Shyam Samai. Assalamualaikum, Shyam. Assalamualaikum to all the listeners. And Shyam is still furiously typing uh, some SMS or email that she needs to, to type out. But thanks for being here, Shyam. I know you are a very, very busy activist and attorney. Um, so, and Shiam is also going to talk us through some of the, the issues uh, that, you know, that the Bukab community faces itself uh, with and, um, and give a commentary on it. Then we got a very special guest here also. We got none other than Anwar Nagia. Assalamualaikum, Anwar. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Ihsan, and to Shiham and Nazir. Anwar is absolutely no stranger to this program or to this radio or any other radio in the world. In fact, we're going to have to take a leave of absence of Anwar because I believe you need to be interviewed again at 8 o'clock by which radio station? Islam Media. Okay, by Islam Media. Also on some of these issues, you know, affecting our community at this point. So, Shiham. Would you like to just contextualize, you know, the violence that we that we experienced uh, in Bukap? And I'm not going to go yet to the other issues of Bonteville and all those other places, but just give us a little bit of a context why, in fact, the police were called in. Just a little bit of a background. Um, yes, Ifshan, I think it's important. Uh, I'm also just... As you know, part of the, of the Bokap community, and we formed a broader network of um, professionals, which we are calling out, you know, to give support to civic the civic organisation, the civic, um, which is the Bokap Collective. And so, a few of us, there's a few lawyers of us that is part of this Bokap Collective, and we have tried to look at and analyse what actually happened um, on that Tuesday. But just in a nutshell, is that um, th- there was an application for an interdict um, to stop 
people from obstructing um, the activities of the developer. So it was a very broad interdict that was given against the Borkup Neighborhood Watch as well as a particular individual and then broadly a third respondent, which is all of these people, which is, like I said, exceptionally broad. Um, and But it was also against the SAPs, as South, well African as police. South African police, as well as the Metro, which the interdict is saying that they must give the developer support um, in relation to ensuring that these activities um, can be done. Now, the issue here is that a lot of people have different opinions and a lot of things to say around Shams, that. Shams, just, just before you, let's talk a little bit about this interdict. Okay, so this particular applicant in court decided they're going to interdict the community from what? From doing what? Obstructing activities. Okay. In particularly around the development. Okay. And then also this crane. And I think that that was just the interdict. Um, and therefore, when the protests happened, now these protests have been occurring for some time now. Um, it is, and, and this protest is in different areas. It's primarily in Wales Street, which happens every day from five to six. Um, and then it moves also to different areas, which includes the, the, the block site. So that is people actually just objecting to the particular development. Shyam, and they've got a right to do that. Shyam, is, is there a precedent for this anywhere in South Africa where, where people actually, where a community has been interdicted for certain conduct, a whole community, even those that can't read or write? No, I mean, there hasn't been. I mean, not that we have, I have seen in particular, I haven't seen an interdict like okay, this. Okay, now just give me a second, Anwar. Have you ever seen something like this, a whole community being interdicted from doing something, from, from, from not obstructing a certain, let's call a measure of conduct, like bringing up a crane into book up? Can yeah, I've, I've never seen this, Isan, and it's... Uh when I comment later, it's really an overreach, A, by the court, and B, the unfettered access the developers have to be able to command the uh, quasi-state structures like the city of Cape Town and their municipal police services to go in their numbers with paramilitary-style fashion well, wait, but, but to block I know, communities. I, I, I want to start off maybe just with the, with the court process. Uh, let, let's not get well, I just think it's an overreach, complete overreach, and there's no precedent that I know of in South Africa and where you, a whole community has been... Have has you been seen something like this in your entire career? Not, not um, that I can think of off the top of my head, Hassan, where our order is so... Um, I would say vast in its in its effect, whereby it can basically impact not one or two, but literally hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, and, and in order to to do to, to, I mean, of course, the community has a right to oppose this thing, and I mean, it's very simple to say, you know, ach, you know what, the community can oppose it if they're not happy. But what does an interdict cost? I mean, and what what does it cost to oppose a, an interdict of this nature, Nazir? Moralist, so you don't have to give me a, an exact uh, figure, but you, you obviously need to appoint an attorney, you need to appoint an advocate, and what does all this cost? Ihsan, uh, I could interdict opposing it. You're looking at a minimum cost of at least about 25,000. Sorry? A minimum of 25,000 upwards. How much? 25. 
Okay, so it's a lot of money. Yeah, um, can uh, our community up in Buka up in, in the flats afford these things? Of course not. I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean that is one. I mean, we, we, we need to acknowledge, I mean, Buka in itself is a working class community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that has always been the challenge that I had with, with most of, you know, posing these developments is that we, we don't have, we, we don't have the, technical support I would say there's a lot of goodwill there's a lot of um, you know people that want to oppose but the challenge is that you know to even appoint an attorney costs money and you know you need to um, you get assistance from people on a pro bono basis or they have to go to the NGOs mm-hmm. which is organizations like myself like or, or other organizations and there's only a few of us around that will be able to do or assist with these type of solutions no, no, we, and it costs yeah. money yeah we're very aware but i mean of course every time a developer brings an application or interdict against the community it costs the community money money which it seems they don't have. Anwar, what is your just take? Your, because we're going to break now for ads. Just very simply, just give me a quick uh, access, access to justice is very expensive. And in the post-apartheid period, it's an indictment, in fact, on the state um, to be able to not give communities their right to... Uh, to have access to justice. So the 25,000 is the bare minimum. We know that a minimum for counsel and opposing counsel, and if you lose this mm-hmm. matter, it could cost you 100,000 rand. It means that the community is exhausted. So they try to tire the community with these uh, modern techniques of access to justice where funding is concerned. That's the one aspect. And when we come back, I want to ask you, why is the court so, 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 so eager to give, um, you know, these types of uh, interdicts against whole communities. I mean, I would like to examine this uh, afterwards, and I would like to hear Nazir and, and Shiam's response. We're going to break for an ad now. When we come back, we're going to look at those issues. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. Assalamualaikum and we are back with the Legal Hour and with me is Nazir Parker, Sham Samai and Anwar Nagia and we're talking about the, 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 the protests uh, in our various areas and of course the conduct of the police and or the city um, police uh, in, in, in these the proceedings. Now before we go anyway, Nazir, can you give me the definition of, of SAPS, South African Police? And then, of course, the city police, and then, of course, security uh, personnel, and I mean all these types of things. Because I think all these uh, members—let's call them members for now—the uh, public has been confused a bit. In fact, they call all of these people bullies. And of course, when one looks at the uniforms that they're wearing, is obviously different uniforms. Mm. Now, just give me a little bit of a rundown as to who's who in the zoo there. Ikhshan, um, if I just look at the, the as you termed it now, the police. The, uh, the, the police in its broadest scope is the South African Police Service. They are the national police mm-hmm. and they are brought about through the South African Police Services Act. And uh, they are responsible for um, combating crime on a national level. Now, when we say on a national level, we talk about anything related to crimes canvassed in the Criminal Procedure Act, uh, murder, rape, robbery, 
Very limited traffic offences like reckless and negligent driving, things like that is why the national police is there and they are, uh, con- they are like I said, brought about through the South African Police Services Act and then you have your local municipal um, law enforcement guys. You, is this what we call the city police? This is what you call the city police or as the Criminal Procedure Act refers to them as peace officers. And in Cape Town specifically, we've got three b- divisions of the peace officers. You have the law enforcement guys, you have the metro police, and then you also have um, the... Uh, I had it now here in front of me. Okay, now, now Nazir, okay, while you're looking for that, so so there's three categories. Yeah. So law enforcement officers, what are those? Law enforcement... And how do they look? Well, they've actually... <laughs> As you quite correctly said, they're all uh, dressed differently to one another, mm. albeit that they're all the, 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 the city police basically has a similar type of, of, um, of dress code. But the law enforcement, they are identified in, and kitted out in their blue uniforms, the navy blue, with uh, sometimes they have khaki pants on. Who do they report to? They, all three of them, report to the city of Cape Town. Um, the not to the province. Not to the province. Not to the to the national commissioner. The national commissioner. They report to the city of Cape Town. They are locally. So employed. we could call them the, the 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 police force of the city. That's correct, indeed. Okay. So. Okay. The other division was the traffic services. That was the one I did. So that's so there's three. So it's law enforcement. There's the metro police, and then there's the traffic. That's correct. Okay. So let's. Well, what's the duties of what we call law enforcement? Law enforcement, effectively, Sean, is um, there to uphold the bylaws of the city of Cape Town. Okay. Uh, when we say bylaws, um, they the specific references made to graffiti control. A nuisance complaint, public intoxication. Um, there's also a specific division dealing with cable theft within the city. Um, so the law enforcement basically um, will be there to protect the greater public against these type of uh, call it schedule one offences. Okay, now Small the metro police, who are they? Metro police, similarly, also under the banner of the city of Cape Town, and um, they are also identified through khaki trousers and beige shirts, and uh, they provide critical support for the South African police services in implementing. Implementing their um, their duties under the national banner, um, but they, like I said, they are easily identified, different to uh, national police. National police across the across the country wears the same uniform, drives the same vehicles. The other three call it splinter um, forces uh, operate completely independent of the South African police and look. Um, uh, distinctly different as well. Sometimes the metro police does overlap in terms of the duties and how they carry out their duties, sometimes they will go further than what they are guided to or enforced to do. And what about jurisdiction? I mean, who's who? who in other words, let's say they get to a, a protest action. Mm. Under whose jurisdiction does, uh, does this, uh, the, the law and order part of the, of the protest uh, fall? The law and order part under protest would fall under the city of Cape Town um, or the municipality itself dealing with not now specifically limiting it to the city of Cape Town but uh, with the municipality dealing with that specific protest application, call it that. Okay, so so the SAPs and other the national police, where do they fall in, in, in this whole thing? Well, the national police in a, in a scenario like you are discussing would be more playing a more supportive role and one has to take into consideration that 
Metro Police, law enforcement, traffic, they're all limited in terms of their numbers, their ability to carry out certain uh, duties. And that is why sometimes the local uh, municipality would involve the services of the National Police to assist in carrying out the, um, call it, uh, overseeing the protests. Okay, Shyam. Shyam. Thank you. Who was actually the... Um, Let's call it, was the protection officers or the, or the enforcement officers at the Buka protest on uh, Tuesday? Was it, was it SAPS? Was it city police? Was it enforcement? It was all of them. SAPS was there, and oh. then what we call the POP units, which is the public order policing, was there. Um, they are normally, they, they are unit from, from SAPS. SAPS. And okay. they normally, I think some time ago, we spoke about um, the different units within, within SAPS. So you have like the visible policing, you have like the pop units, and everybody has different badges. So your pop units will normally have the red badges. Okay, Sham, we're going to talk a little, I'm just a bit concerned that we're going to break for Maghrib in about four minutes. But Anwar, your comment. Uh, it sounds just very simply. Uh, okay. Just to, just to call a spade a spade. There is no ways, as first of all, private security companies can police public open space and can police the public. So that is already wrong. So we, we must prepare an application um, to say that they acted completely uh, in an unlawful manner. They Which cannot, is the security companies. The security companies. They cannot be on the roads. And they, they are cannot accountable be in the streets. to who? They're accountable to their own private persons who can protect their property. They must be one meter or two meters at their property. They cannot be in the streets. They cannot direct the police. They cannot be part of the police services. That's number one. So that already is wrong. So we can bring charges against each of those particular in individuals because they are private. South African law does not allow private armies, in fact, to interfere, interfere with state uh, issues. Number two, the municipal police have limited powers only to direct the public against city council's property, land invasions, issues of the state buildings, issues of the municipal buildings in the roads. That is the municipal police with the Lakaki uniforms in the old and the old daughters for the group Soldaki Sonaplakis because there was kids constables at the time. They got quick training to, to do law enforcement. They can look at the trains, they can look at violence and cables. They cannot, in fact, uh, be deployed against the public. The South African police services. You know, here we believe uh, when the city of Cape Town is in problems, they then says police is a national competency. They then say the police um, is being neglected by the Minister of Police to actually put gang units in Cape Town. I'm just giving an example. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the city can use their contacts in the police to absolutely manhandle the public. How was it possible for the city of Cape Town and the province to release people to protect private property in the streets. The public was nowhere near the private property. The public was down at the bottom in Wales Street, protecting the area from being completely cannibalized and brutalized in terms of the whole gentrification project. But they were on they were on state's property. They were not on the private property. So therefore that police could not do what they did do because they were not Who are you referring public. to now? Well, there's of there's course three, there's no, there's SAPs, there's enforcement, wow. and then of course the Metro Police. Well, so the Metro Police acted ultra vires. The, the SAPs acted in an overzealous manner in mm. terms of protecting people from from uh, stopping uh, trucks and of course equipment coming through through the area. And then thirdly, the private, the private armies that was deployed there, 
with a paramilitary uniform and psychological warfare in terms of their dress code, in terms of their battery and their armor, was to cycle, you know, browbeat uh, 80-year-olds and, and people. So, so, so that we must look. We still got time to bring to bring um, that particular persons not only through iPad <laughs> but to court. But I, I know. I just I want to ask you a question quickly. Um, the um, Shyam, yes, please. Um, I, I can't I'm ask questions if you if you if you're playing I, with your the, phone. But yeah. <laughs> Shyam, one of the things you know yeah. what I'm actually reading is okay. that Advocate Doan and wrote a I very saw, good which, article, which that is the article that I think yeah. we need to discuss. Yeah, yeah but, we will, but but before we discuss it, let me just ask you about because we don't have a lot of time if we're going to break for Maghrib. The ATL that uh, there was no, was the ATL no, there was no everybody's talking no. about it what happened was that she was sitting in yeah. front um when the protest happened so so when the first when they were all sitting in front and so when when the police moved forward they were all standing there but who they took was they took a um one of the women who was who was then placed in the car and then they arrested two persons first so there was a lot of altercation a lot of things that were happening that moment because they threw um these uh what do you call it um stun grenades, stun grenades. Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of things that were happening and running around okay so there was no idea all the rest just to, no, to put the no, record straight no. there I were mean, five people that were arrested yeah. and i think we might make it clear that they were arrested in terms of the road uh, road traffic which is to obstruct the road mm. and the second was contravention of this interdict so those were the two charges because i think it was extremely difficult to charge them in terms of the gatherings act because the day before the mm. constitutional court just handed down a judgment in relation to section 12 of the gatherings act mm. and they actually made it very clear around what the purpose of peaceful protests are because people are sometimes confused between what is a violent process and those that is just a peaceful process the, because a, proce a protest Protis. in itself mm. should be disruptive you don't get protest just you know there's different levels of protest but it doesn't mean a disruptive protest is a violent protest and they had to actually look at whether or not the the force of which they used against those people whether or not it was actually proportionate to the protesting and that's where the challenge okay, comes in. Okay, you're going to talk to us of the Maghrib specifically about this constitutional court judgment in terms of protest because I think it's very important that the community understand this particular judgment. Nazir, um, I would like you to obviously talk, talk me through the whole concept of why they were not charged for public violence and why they jumped to um, to traffic offence and uh, to uh, the breach of the interdict. Um, in fact, uh, Anwar, uh, you were mentioning about this uh, broad interdict uh, situation. I cannot see how somebody can be charged with an an interdict for breaching an interdict if you didn't read the interdict i mean as as a non-lawyer what is your understanding of that before we break from us yeah no, no i i accept what you're saying because many of the, the public themselves um understood that the original interdict was against either the civic individuals that is obstructing the development taking place at at that particular uh 
you know, if you call it in money or whatever. Okay, Anwar, my technician, give him my other file, take We are now having to break for Maghrib. I'm not sure if you're going to come back. Are you coming back after the walk? Maybe for about five minutes or so? Five minutes, I need to just cover some other matters. On that note, we're now going to break for Salah, and when we come back, we're going to continue with this program on protests and police action in respect thereof. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Zikhsan Higgins here again uh, with the Legal Hour, and with me, uh, my guest is Nasir Parker, uh, Shiam Samai, and Anwar Nagia. Unfortunately, Anwar will have to leave us in about ten minutes from now, and Shiam will leave us in about twenty minutes from now, and Nasir will be will be will remain behind. So uh, we we continuing now with our discussion pertaining to the uh, protests by the communities and. The a subsequent violent reaction by members of the South African police and of course members of the what did you say Nazir? It was members of the, the other groups? Um, Metro Police, law enforcement and the traffic officials. Yeah, the, the whole machinery of the state uh, the security apparatus you know, for fighting against the, the community for whatever reason and we're trying to unpack it. Anwar seeing that you're going to be the first one to leave maybe you just want to comment on you know certain of the the, the nuances you know that that, that that comes through here because you know it, it's a very unusual situation for uh, number one a court to, to to give an interdict against the entire community and then every single person of that community is deemed to have read that particular document despite the fact that some people are not even able to read uh, to read a normal letter let alone a very complicated court uh, document and of course the subsequent reaction by the city and uh, and, and of course the national police Isan, first of all, let me just put something completely in context. This notion, when the court makes a pronouncement, it almost believes and it always says to us that that is the kind of moral judgment on the matter. Courts are not always right. Another court can find another another decision by the judge who have heard. And we believe that A, there's been an overreach of the law, I think that the whole process of gentrification persuaded the judge because he took the city's view and even at the time Patricia DeLaw had the similar view of not declaring up a Schedule 1 heritage area and were in fact not pro-poor but was in fact pro-development and pro-gentrification. That's number one. Number two, my other observation is very simply that the police acted, certain of the police acted ultraviolet. Are you the security police? Okay, okay. Uh, ultra virus, Nazir. Uh, they acted beyond the scope. They acted beyond. They acted beyond. Sorry, sorry. Okay. They acted beyond uh, the scope. So, so, I mean, I always just uh, direct my my, my panel. You Thanks, know, uh, Nazir. Lift. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, for <laughs> it's a Latin phrase in law, but it's fine. So, so a we must take on review in the civic itself mm. the actions by the private police that we must bring up an uh, application again, but we, we can leave that for now. We've got three months, we've got four months to do that. The municipal police were not pre- protecting, uh, should not have protected private property mm. interests. The court didn't direct them to do that because we weren't near the property. And thirdly, the 
the what they call paramilitary style police with stun grenades because nobody's lives was in, was in danger. You only do that looting, rioting, and in fact uh, bringing injury to public safety, and that was not the case. And so therefore, and of course the number of police and the high-handedness, that's the one aspect. I think we can reserve that right. But the other victory, I think, for the civic is that the people took to the streets almost in a way that they're now beginning to see that their heritage and their contribution over the many, many years in a stable community like Bukup is under threat. And that certain of the people in Bukup have lost their way to engage and to, in fact, go against the, the, the complete grain. I expected the Brohanul meeting to be packed with people that was going to come there and almost challenge the status quo of the civic. And do you know the maturity of the public rallied behind the civic, which must be commended? I commend the people for their bravery. I commend the, the persons that have got them all out of prison, Shiham, Iksan, and all, all the guys who were actually involved in galvanizing and the victory that they got because no charges was actually laid, the charges were dropped because the police knew that they're on thin ice and on thin water. Lastly, lastly, that you can resolve this in two ways. One, at the ballot, we must be reminded that the local city and the local province, in fact, has not demonstrated a pro-poor policy and mm. a heritage policy. They, mm. they just have not done that. Mm. Forget you, I'm not asking you to vote for anybody else, but you cannot, in fact, endorse the same kind of behavior by your city officials who absolutely protected developers. We're going to have to take that interdict eventually under review uh, to another court, and I believe another court will find justice if we believe in, uh, in social justice. Um, the people of Burkup should be given precedent over these monstrosities and the violation of a stable community in terms of the process of gentrification. So if we don't watch it, and we don't temper the spirit of, of some of the um, younger generation, which I don't necessarily believe that they are misdirected. I think they don't have institutional memory, and they can challenge me on it. That's fine. I don't think they have sufficient in institutional memory because the gentrification debate was 20 years. And if I look at that youngsters, they were three and four years old. But it doesn't mean that young generations don't have the will to, to, to give expression and to help us they did in the beginning i think i think they need to stand back and do an introspection and let us help them we're not against them but if they're going the route that they are going if they have made deals with the developers quietly without involving other people then that must be unpacked they must come clean and must come clean very quickly because we cannot divide this community anymore Okay, and was shukran for that. Uh, Shia, maybe I just wanted to comment on it. And you know, you know, I want to ask the question, and, and I mean, maybe it's a bit of a, of a, of a, of a edgy question. Is that Anwar? Are you are you, uh, are you leaving now? Because I know Anwar needs to be interviewed by another radio station. So Anwar, shukran very much for for, for coming to uh, to assist. You know, in this very very difficult program. I think uh, you know it's a it's always good to hear you know the the views of the old community activists and uh, and I hope that you know we're going to take this discussion a little bit further and maybe get some of those people you know who has been mentioned on this program. You know, to, because we always take things from a legal angle and I mean I'm very happy that you gave us some insight even as a, as, as a social activist 
into because I mean you've got a lot of experience in this in, in these types of things so yeah hopefully you can come back and you know give us some more input on Isan, the people of Bukap don't have the monopoly on gentrification the residents of Bukap are not the only persons that can act as custodians of Bukap mm-hmm. everybody in the city of Cape Town must rally behind all areas including Bukap so I'm not going to keep myself out of that area and somebody's going to tell me I'm not a Bukap resident and therefore I can't take up their struggle that's nonsense I'm not going to be I'm not falling for that threat. I won't. I never have and I never will. The issue of gentrification affects all of humanity and all of society in the post-apartheid period more so than ever. We are facing what is called a class struggle, not Mm. an anti-apartheid struggle. It's between the haves and the have-nots and the defenses have-nots. So we support everybody in Bukha and we support Tunadrang towards the youth. We're not against them. We can't be against. That's, That's our future. But we want to shape it with them and we want to tell them that if they lost their way, they must prove to us that they haven't lost their way. Thank you. Okay, shukran Anwar for that words of wisdom. We're just going to go for a break and we come back. I want to hear Shyam's uh, take on the current, um, let's call it, division within the Bukab community. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the with the legal hour. Um, Anwar Nagya has left the studio, and but we are, we still have Nazir Parker, and we got Shyam Samai, and we're talking about uh, the community action, the protest action, and subsequent uh, police action, and some of it was indeed brutal. Shyam, my take on uh, as 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 a you know, as a social commentator as well is that you know that when a community is faced with a crisis. In this instance, I would call this particular period or epoch in, in Burkhub a crisis. Isn't it prudent for this community to band together? I mean, I know that, you know, from newspaper reports, you hear there's one group and another group all commenting on, I mean, we've heard it on, on different media sources. Should, isn't this the time that the community needs to band together and, you know, stand together? And, uh, and and come up with a collective strategy, or a legal strategy, you know, against the onslaught against this community, whether it's in the form of, of violence by the police, whether it is the onslaught of, of gentrification. There's so many crises or points of crisis that this community faces. Isn't it imprudent for this community to actually just come together, set aside the differences, and identify the common threats. Ifshan, I am going to agree with you 100%, but I need to just step back. This type of ADR, okay, what which is, ADR? is alternative, alternative dispute resolution, dispute. Yes, is normally what happens when there is this level of conflict. But let me just say that this, is, this wasn't the first interdict that the developer brought. This was the second one. The first one was during uh, June, um, and the the challenge that we had there was that they then subsequently withdrew that. But before that, when the order was granted, the community actually defended themselves. They went to court on their own. And the, the court, which was, um, we believe it was Judge Yeni, they gra- gave a very creative order. 
and an order which he possibly acknowledged that the challenges had to be resolved. So he gave an order which actually said that the South African Human Rights Commission and our Sheikh Daoud had to mediate between the parties and come up with a solution and come back to court. Then a return date. Was it done? Was it done? Well, before the the Human Rights Commission started the process, there was even a um, a, a, a a whole um, engagement between the different parties. I'm talking about uh, you know trying to set up how this was going to the structure was going to um, actually deal with these with the challenges. Sheikh Dawood was also involved, and then subsequently. Um, the the matter was withdrawn, which technically you and I know. Once a matter is withdrawn, then then, every, then if everything all the falls, falls apart. apart. Yes, yeah. ex- exactly. Mm. Everything fell up, uh, at that moment. Everything fell apart, which means that the Human Rights Commission couldn't do the court ordered mediation or engagement. So here you had the court at that point in time, or at least the judge at that point in time, already acknowledged that there are lots of things that had to be done. Now we're talking about between July and now, right? A second interdict is brought. Mm-hmm. Now, w- the question is, when when we want to resolve this type of community conflict, it, it can only, what happens in the court is that the one party says one thing and the other party says another thing, and the court will obviously determine what the outcome is. It doesn't mean that the community, whoever else might be happy with a particular outcome. But mediation or ADR, alternative speed resolution, think, is here. Yeah, I think, Sham, just, just stick to the word mediation, because, of course, alternative dispute resolution, could potentially mean arbitration. And it can be arbitration, it can, of, be, con- yes, it can adjudic- be conciliation. Yeah, yeah but we, we want to move away from the adjudication process. That's what I'm asking you. In terms of coming together, surely, you know, you have to, to have the different parties around it. Table. Well, there has been a lot of people with broadly... Uh, uh, in the community that indicated that these things have to resolve because everybody acknowledges at the end of the day it is only the developers can win. <laughs> it is it, the community at the end of the day suffers from the disunity and we need to acknowledge that. Um, and, and it's something that I agree with 100% that we need to be able to see how is it that we can amicably resolve this and we need to be able to see how can we move forward. Now, the, 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 the biggest challenge obviously is that the community in any form of mediation and you know you, you qualified mediator and arbitrator that you need to agree to the terms, we need to agree to the parties, we need to agree with what the parameters are, and that is ultimately to ensure who is at the table, because currently there's 150 people by the table, mm-hmm. and let me explain that everybody has an opinion in relation to this matter, but ultimately it's the people that day that was there, that was affected, that was brutalized by SAPs, and so the book community... I would, I would actually caution you not to say by SAPs, because technically it wasn't just SAPs that was on the scene. It was, it was SAPs also the and Metro, Metro and yes. traffic was also there, traffic because also. that's another issue. People yeah. might think it's, it's, it's actually something which we haven't looked at mm. but the cars were actually given a thousand rand um, traffic fines 
Is it? How many yes. cars? There was a few cars. Mm-hmm. And that is where, that's the second altercation that happened. So, there is lots of things that needs to be resolved Okay, Sham, my technician has given me the, 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 the you know, the look. And we're just going to have to go for an ad break. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue with the discussion. Nazir, please bear with us. I mean, Sham is not going to be here for long. And then I want you to take furious notes because we're going to discuss a lot of these issues from a legal perspective after this. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hours. Ihsan Higgins here. I've still got with me in studio uh, Nazir Parker and Shyam Samai, who's going to be uh, leaving us shortly. Shyam, just a f- uh, final word pertaining to the uh, what you were speaking about a bit earlier on. Yes, Ihsan, uh, there was a, there was actually a very nice article that was done by Advocate Donan, where he actually uses the Boka community and the Protea Village community. Was, was this the article in the Cape Times this yes. morning? Yes. Okay. Um, and it was about capitalism forcing communities out of city just like apartheid and I think it does a very nice analogy because the but the Protea village in Constantia I think it's in the Bishop Court areas obviously it's a restitution claim yeah. mm. and Burkup he actually compares it the whatever is happening in there is also a form of eviction but it is ob, it's it's it is developers driving uh, uh, residents out of the area but one thing he says at the end where he questions and he says should the state be on the side of those with money or on the side of those who need it and help who need to be helped and protected um, and then he says that the answer is obviously very ob- it's obvious but what happened in this particular matter is that can the question that we have is that can the court grant an order obviously they can direct certain government departments etc um, but they directed SAPS to do a, a, a particular um, action and to support the developer. The question that we have is that, was that action correct? And secondly, could the court have done that? And thirdly, if the court did that, should, should SAPS or the police have opposed it? Because how is it possible that we can use state resources against a particular community mm-hmm. Be- because in and, and that's the question that we have is that one of the things that we need to look at in terms of the public order policing it's not to escalate it's to de-escalate violence right mm-hmm. to de-escalate mm-hmm. and to ensure that there is some form of resolve or peace that is being brought how do you have so many police officers and metro police officers with private um, security company with traffic than a way they ended up actually you know forcing the community to or to at least move the community from that particular road. Something else need to had to happen. And and what was the role actually of that unit? What was the role of Are you talking of, about pops now? Of pops. Okay, now what's pops again? It's the public, public order police. policing. Okay, and, so, and, yeah. and and that is why when we when I spoke about 
the um, the social justice we call it the SJC ten, um, uh, the SJC ten matter, where section twelve, where the court actually indicated that section twelve, which which dealt with, where more than you know the the provision, if it's more than fifteen people, that the um, the the local municipality have to be given notice, otherwise yeah, but is they can that be charged after the constitutional court judgment. Well, surely. That, yes, but this but it's not about the relevance. The constitutional court said that section twelve one of the gatherings act was unconstitutional, mm-hmm. and the court it it upheld obviously a Western Cape High Court decision, but the the. The court actually highlighted that the criminalization of citizens who are exercising their rights in terms of the constitution is 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 a right which is afforded to them. And how can it be that at the end of the day they are being criminalized for actually exercising their particular right? So the case was brought by the Social Justice Coalition and it was brought sure, there What section of the Constitution gives you the right to protest? Surely there is... Yes, there is freedom to freedom protest you got the right to um, gather um, and, uh, but So it is contained in the Constitution? It is contained in the Constitution And it is contained in the Gatherings Act? Yes Okay. But the court actually indicated that this particular section conflicted with the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and because it criminalizes people who are simply exercising their constitutional right. So what I'm saying is that it was therefore very difficult to bring a charge in terms of the Gatherings Act because the court just the day before actually explained what is a gathering? What is peaceful? What, what, what does it mean in terms of this particular um, uh, uh, provision? Mm-hmm. So, so that is why I believe the, the, the charges were brought in terms of road. Yeah, but I mean, there was nothing. There was no alternative, obviously. No, there was no alternative. But I mean, and the to, only to, other was that to, it was to, a to beat people up, to throw people on the floor, to 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 throw to to drag people across the tarmac, and they end up being charged with a road traffic offence mm. and uh, in the breach of interdict. Surely, there's a there's a kind of a conflict there between the action taken and the charges laid. I think, uh, you know, that's something that the community must look at critically, you know, I mean, and of course the lawyers that represent these communities. Nasha, what consequences will there be for these particular gentlemen, and I don't know if there was ladies, uh, pertaining to, I mean, these guys that Anwar said earlier on, they use a nice word, ultra vires, acting outside the scope and authority of your power. What action can one take against these uh, errant uh, peace officers. Well, there's a range. You can like criminal charges, obviously, which I think IPUD should investigate them. IPUD? Yes, which we is... Um, Internal Police Investigative Directorate. Yeah. Yes, that, I mean, Nazir is a perfect dictionary. Yes. Uh, the interpreter. Thank you, Nazir. Okay. No just, we just call but it yeah, IPUD uh, and uh, POP and SAPS. <laughs> we'll have to just uh, break quickly for an ad, and when we come back, uh, we're going con- to conclude your, your, your segment, and then, of course, me and Nazir, we're going to continue talking about some of the actions that can be taken against these errant uh, so-called peace officers. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. And we are 
are back with the illegal hour and uh, for, for the last half an hour. Um, Shyam, I know that you're going to be leaving us shortly. Shyam, you just want to make your concluding remark and um, uh, thanks for, for giving us, like, you know, a little bit of a background on uh, why we found our, our community in conflict with the police and uh, yeah, your final comment on it. Yes, um, Ifshan, I think the, the, the question that, that we have is just that why didn't, for example, the police also possibly oppose this application? Okay, because if it was this wide, would they, that do, the police are already struggling with resources? Do you think? Well, this is going to be worse because the problem that you're sitting with is that these there is potential civil claims mm. against um, SAPS as well as Metro as well as traffic. In addition to that, these or criminal charges can also be brought, and the, this is the reality. And I'm going back to the Donan article where it actually questions whether or not police resources should be used. Um, in this manner mm. because maybe something else should have been there some other form of remedy some other form of, I would even say some other form of creative remedy um, to be able to ensure that what happened on Tuesday um, not should happen or it, it shouldn't have happened Mm-hmm. Because maybe if the police oppose the applicant, just say we can't use this particular resource. Yeah. So something How else had yeah, happened. Just, just to bring in another incident in the northwest, there was a whole issue of marikana. I mean, uh, we yes. all remember the whole one yes. thing. Now, how did the police or, or the state? How did the state deal with that? That that type of event will not happen again. But that's an inquiry mm-hmm. that was done. But at the end of the day, what we must look at there are there, there are a few other cases, and it's got to do with reasonable force. It's got to do with whether or not the actions of the police was disproportionate in relation to the actions of the community. Now, honestly, if you have like 20 old women, one which was like a few that was over 60 and then you even have a 90-year-old that was sitting there, was this disproportionate? And that's the question that we need to ask. Because was there some other form of solution that could have been found? Other than because, um, other than doing what they did, it was unacceptable. Shyam, how does how do we go about getting a commission of inquiry going on this one? I mean, surely it justifies it. I mean, the, the it was all over the news. People are angry. People are hurt. People have been uh, traumatized, brutalized. Now, how do we? In fact, uh, Nazir, maybe you want to answer that. How do we get to a point where we request the state to appoint a commission of inquiry? To, to look into this matter and as to why was it that the police acted in such a manner or felt fit to act in such a manner to, and who were the, the paymasters in this regard? Shyam, I will excuse you. I know that you've got to run off to another meeting and uh, shukran for, for attending tonight. Uh, hopefully, I mean, this is not the end of the discussion. Uh, there's a whole lot of questions coming in and I really apologize to my listeners for not reading it out yet, but hopefully we will have an opportunity to read some of these questions when, uh, when, 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 of course, when we only have one guest left. So, Shab, you can just uh, greet. Yes, um, assalamu alaikum and, and thank you, Ikshan, again for having me. Um, I have to, like you said, I have another community meeting which I have to attend. Okay, and good luck with that. Shukran for coming. Assalamu alaikum.
Nazir, the floor is now entirely yours. We've got now, uh, you know, Anwar has left us, Shiam mm. has left us, mm. and now you're going to unfortunately have to bear the brunt of all these questions that came through. But uh, maybe before we get there, let's talk about a commission of inquiry. Why, why should it be that we can have a commission of, of inquiry on all these things happening in South Africa at the moment? Like, you know, we have the, we had a, a commission of inquiry with, in respect of Marikan, where people were killed by, by through police action. We've had now the, 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 the State Capture Commission. We've had a whole lot of things. I do believe that, this, that the, these types of, of, of actions... Uh, it's been on the news, it's been on SABC, right. it's been on ENCA, it's been on all the the, 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 the the news channels. Surely it's of national importance. I agree with you fully, Sean. I think the, the, the limitations that the that the people of Cape Town have in this thing is not is not uh, not not enough noise is being made about it. And I think the moment where there will be a lot of political pressure on this particular issue, that is when mechanisms like commissions of inquiry will start taking place and when all the uh, developments leading up to and concluding the entire event that took place on Tuesday will be really put under the sword where the people of Cape Town and the Bukab community will really receive a lot of the answers to all the questions that are floating around much of which we've discussed but a lot of un- unasked questions is still out there regarding all of these things and Azir is this, I mean we touched on it with Shyam earlier on that you know my contention you know as, a, as as an observer is that we've had a situation where the police acted in a certain way mm-hmm. now the normal reaction of lawyers and of people saying that we want action against the police and then they end up suing the minister of police mm-hmm. The poor minister of police, who's probably in Pretoria somewhere, blissfully unaware of what's happening mm. within the ranks of the rank and file of the police. Isn't it time that we start suing these errant police officers in their personal capacity? Ikshan, that is an option um, to do that even as we speak. It's an option to, to uh, basically take them to task individually, as you say. The problem is that nine times out of ten, when it comes to civil suits, uh, people will not be able to get the recourse out of an individual per se because of the limitation of that specific individual to maybe, let's say, um, uh, fulfill a civil claim in his or her ability but respect. So in other words, there would be a person of straw. In correct. other words, there's no point in suing that person. That's correct. But that surely, I mean, look, a judgment is there for 30 years. I mean, you, you can lay claim to that person's pension when he retires. I agree with you. Um, so, so there's obviously uh, you know, more creative ways to sue these people mm. in their individual capacity simply because they and, and, and simply that they acted outside the course and scope of the duty mm. in violating a community. Mm. I agree with you, but at the same time I have to say maybe the fact that the minister is himself at the risk in terms of any civil suits, it will give him a lot more uh, call it power to try and keep his stock under control if you want to put it that way to keep the police intact to ensure that they don't go outside the scope of their powers because the moment that you expose the individual the minister might i'm not saying he will but might 
uh, take a step back or take his foot off the pedal. But that being said, I do agree with you that the fact that you're going to target the individual will give that individual a lot more time to think about his actions. Look, I don't, well, from my, from my understanding is I, I, I can't think of a precedent where it has been done before. Mm. I mean, everybody just jumps to the minister mm. and say, now, well, the minister was responsible mm. or, the, or the commission of police, they were responsible. But those orders never came from those structures. Mm. Surely, if somebody clubs an 80-year-old woman over the head with his baton mm. or he throws a stun grenade next to a five-year-old, injuring that five-year-old's hearing for life. Mm. Surely that individual that caused that action, committed that action, should actually be held accountable. Oh, the task. Uh, I think that is possibly where the criminal element of all of this will come about, Ikshan. Maybe the civil suit is not the best alternative. Maybe the criminal's um, set up or justice system is there. The yeah, but under what would you charge that particular police person? Excessive force. Uh, he's, he's gone outside in the scope and the need, as Shaham pointed out, there's no reasonable, what is the reasonable force required to deal with the situation? He has clearly gone outside the reasonability of, of what was needed. But what is the common law charge? I mean, surely, I mean, you you, you can charge him in terms of, uh, of, 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 of uh, are you saying we must charge him in terms of an act of that, what, well, section 49 of the I would say criminal assault, procedure assault, GBH, uh, something like that is yeah. there we can we can go we can definitely consider uh, criminal charges along those lines you know Nazir and I, and I mean I'm sorry to hop on this thing but I want to to, to, to get some clarity and I want to get uh, you know the, 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 and sh- the collective ears listening to this now you know obviously saw this particular uh, actions happening where in Ponteville where that poor lady was actually dragged uh, to a cell and uh, and it was slammed practically in the face you know it was it was brutal it reminded one of of of, of the, the the apartheid regime where people just didn't care and uh, and worst of all it was actually male police personnel mm. that were actually manhandling female protesters mm. surely that in itself is a problem it is <coughs> as i understand the policies of saps where there is female perpetrators involved there must be a police official of the same gender dealing with the matter. You can't have a male uh, police officer handling a female uh, in scenarios like that. Okay, so, so, so Nazir, I'm, I'm back on this issue of you saying it could potentially be a criminal matter. So let's assume for a moment that you are correct mm-hmm. as a lawyer. And you now have a, a criminal matter, and now the guy stands in there. He's charged under assault GBH, um, and then, of course, he gets a suspended sentence or he gets a, uh, a fine of 500 rand for acting out um, something that he can live with, you know, in the short term. Mm. But if one goes the civil route, surely that's going to affect him long term. Correct. Because now that is going to affect him for 30 years. Because if he doesn't have money today, you wait that out. You wait until the day that that pension gets paid out. Mm. And you attach that pension with your judgment. Mm. Surely that is a more effective uh, it is. way uh, to do it. Sean, the fact of the matter is, like you're saying, a civil judgment remains enforceable for a period of 30 years. And if that judgment hasn't been um, executed against and there is a means to execute after... 10 years of the judgment being granted, that warrant will still be issued and the sheriff of the court will be perfectly empowered and entitled to go and enforce that judgment. So hopefully, inshallah, the community that's being affected or the communities affected 
by these acts of brutality by the very forces, the very security forces that are supposed to protect mm. innocent people. Um, I hope they are listening to this and they are taking cognizance of particular actions that they can take, mm. be it civil or criminal. I'm going to jump to some of the questions that are being asked here by the, by the listeners and some is getting very irate at me for actually not reading the comments and I will do so right after the break. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Unfortunately, we are only left with one guest. We started off with three guests. We had Anwar Nagyaya, we had Shiam Samaya, and we're now with uh, Nazir Parker. Uh, and that is, uh, unfortunately, the limitation of having very, very busy community activists, you know, as guests, you know, that they need to run. They can't give you two hours. They can give you only one hour or 30 minutes. And that's okay, because we need those inputs, you know, as much as we can. And, uh, of course, very valuable advice to the community. So, Nazir, coming back to one of these questions, in fact, there's quite a few. Uh, let me read uh, the first one. It says, how come when the state are being challenged by taxpaying citizens in court, the state uses taxpayers' money to pay lawyers, but the taxpayers have to fork up their own money. It's a grave injustice. Example, High Court D6 Working Committee versus the state. And uh, this person is asking this question, and I think it's a very, very valid question, mm. and it's a question that's very, very close to my heart. And Azir, I'm unfortunately going to interrogate you on this issue now, because I think it, in fact, to my mind, it is a grave injustice mm. that state departments are utilizing state resources to pay very expensive commercial lawyers who end up dragging these matters instead of trying to resolve those matters with the community. Mm. Your comment, please. Ikshan, firstly, um, the listener is hitting the nail right on the head. Um, yes, we have to acknowledge that the state in running a, a particular country has to resource and allocate its money where, it ne where it's needed. But then again, your comment is going over and above that. The fact of the matter is, and we off we were having these discussions as to why there was not this initial mediation process with between the developers and the community to try and circumvent the need for the people to run to court and run up the cost of, of legal fees and in fact waste judicial court time which can be used in other matters. And it is unfortunately a position where whoever is representing um, the state in these type of things might not be advising them adequately or appropriately for the simple reason that there might be a con an, an interest there for them. And in my opinion, that's a conflicted interest because you cannot advise correctly if you have something to, to gain at the end of and it. And they gain legal fees. They gain, and not, and we're talking enormous amount of legal yeah, fees. Yeah, but Nazir, but surely, you know, if, if, if the community can lodge a potential com complaint mm. against that particular government department and accuse them, rightfully so, mm. of, uh, of, 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 of conducting themselves 
in a wasteful and fruitless expenditure scenario i mean surely that can be achieved it can um these are reasons why you have qualified audits once those once the noise is made mm-hmm. then the auditors step in and determine whether these expenditures have been necessary or whether it was in fact a wasteful exercise and once that is determined heads will roll inevitably mm-hmm. and to in, in, in to um to av- avoid this from happening again I, I think Nazir, and I mean maybe for the community as well, is to take notice of of, of of the of this particular comment. And I wanted to comment on it, Nazir, is that surely you know the state is setting up all forms of of, of entities, commissions, public protector, uh, you name it. You know they've got all of these uh, institutions in place. But isn't it time for government to step in and create a a panel of lawyers? Maybe that came from the private sector to have a look at all the the, 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 the these fruitless expenditure by government departments paying private lawyers a whole lot of money for 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 exercises in futility mm. against communities mm. no it is Ikshan. the fact of the matter is the attorneys are the ones that are appropriately geared to deal with these things because they are fully and even if they come out of the private sector they are fully equipped and knowledgeable about issues like these and practitioners like us in the private sector the first thing we look at when we get it in, in a matter coming across like this is can we resolve this now and the simple question is why can that not apply across the table um, in matters like these where there's government institutes involved in in the dispute and simply if there is an attorney panel dealing with assessing these things I'm sure that the state will end up saving a lot more resources in respect of finance that can be used gravely elsewhere. Okay, here's another question that I want to read out and we'll interrogate this question as well. It says here the police were ruthless and brutal. They must be charged under the acts that protect communities the right to protest peacefully. Mm. Why not use the recent judgment passed by the High Court for people to protest peacefully? It wasn't the High Court, it was the Constitutional Court, uh, from my understanding. There's a clear breach in terms of this judgment. Um, And then they ask, who gave the command to the Metropolis and of course the national police to use such force. I think uh, that's the question. I, I don't expect you to answer the, the whole question. Mm. I think maybe we must just uh, uh, maybe look at what's the remedy pertaining to this in terms mm. of these. It doesn't matter who gave the command, but at the end of the day, we need. To, I mean, we, as we said earlier on, I asked you the question: How does one go about setting up a commission of inquiry? Mm. And I think you answered it. Mm. And I think maybe. That particular action must be taken by the communities, hopefully the unified community of Bukap, to actually call upon the the proper authority to actually set up a commission of inquiry. Then, of course, some of these questions can be answered. I agree. Ekshan, the the fact is, with regards to the judgment that has now come out dealing with the Gatherings Act and the Constitutional Court, as Sham pointed out, succinctly dealt with a lot of the issues around the right to protest, the right to gather, the right to have voices heard. And the fact is that if the Constitutional Court is recognizing 
the fact that the legislation enacted by national government and or local government is is incorrect then surely the 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 custodians who are supposed to uphold the law such as such as the police metro law enforcement traffic should take cognizance of these um, uh, groundbreaking judgments by the constitutional court why is there this inherent need for them as police officers who is supposed to protect the community why is there this need for them to try and impose themselves forcefully on the community that is the question which I don't believe that uh, has been asked and answered correctly by um, Mm -hmm. the people or the powers that be at this point in time if one narrows it down to the Tuesday event that happened in the Bull Cup everything there was unnecessary there was no need for the force and the in the in the exertion of violence there, um, because like Shyam said, I mean you're dealing with people who are not geared for violence. Mm. Yeah, I think Nazir, a lot of people would obviously call this state-sanctioned violence, mm. but I question, as a social commentator, was it state-sanctioned? Is it not just a question of an overzealous police captain? a metro officer who felt that you know what I don't like the attitude of mm-hmm. this particular of these protesters so that is why I am saying maybe the suggestion is a commission of inquiry mm-hmm. and failing that that the community must launch on these individual police or metro officers a, a civil suit mm-hmm. so that they can feel the brunt of a civil action mm-hmm. and of course as you said a, a criminal, a potential criminal action, but I don't have, uh, I mean, I, I, there, there, there's no credible information available that f- that I can say that, you know, that there will be a successful prosecution mm. of these police officers. Mm. So, yes, I, so, so, so that's maybe my conclusion of this particular program. And uh, so, so do you agree with that whole concept, or is it something that's up there in the air? No, I agree, Sean. <clears throat> I think the individual prosecutions, civil suits, and the like will will definitely drive home the the message that you are not above what you are supposed to be protecting. Yeah. Uh, Nazir, here's another question that came in. This listener is really harassing me to ask this question on air. And I will. It says, uh, hi, Mr. Higgins. If there were people responsible for concluding agreements with the block development company, uh, will we as the listeners be privileged to know what they agreed to? And will we be informed who they are? We need to know who to trust and have a future relationship with. Why is the book up? Councillor and the city of Cape Town also not part of this discussion. Salam. I don't think, uh, Nazir, you should be answering this question. I think these are the questions that need to be ventilated in some form of alternative dispute resolution mechanism, like a mediation. Uh, and I'm hoping that the Pukup community and others that are assisting that community will find uh, each other and understand who the collective enemy of the people can be or, or, or will be uh, in future. And, uh, and I think they must, they must basically unite. What, what do you think? Is it possible? Very possible, Sean. The, the old saying comes to mind, united we stand and divided we fall. And I think that's been the cards that's been played here. Um, if what I'm reading is correct, uh, some members of the Bukov community is taking time to get onto the, the joint bandwagon, if you want to put it that way. 
Yeah, and then the last question I want to ask, I know the technician gave me the look. Uh, we almost need to break now. It says, yeah, how come all these things are happening when they, and they, but the government departments are still getting clean audits. That, unfortunately, mm. is a question for another day. Mm. We will be, 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 be looking at those things. And yes, maybe we should get the city, city officials. Maybe we need to get uh, the, 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 the person in charge of the metro police on, and maybe he can say, well, it has never been intended to be ultra vires or it wasn't against the community they were just doing the job we would like to hear from them hopefully we can get those people on air maybe in the legal hour Nazir you can wrap up now and uh, yeah unfortunately our time has now lapsed and Muta Yusuf will be coming into the studio soon Ishan, just from my perspective, um, I think this is a topic which you can't really deal with in two hours. I think, uh, like Shyam and Anwar and yourself have been um, uh, hinting towards, I think there needs to be a lot more um, dealt with in this matter through a commission of inquiry or through any other mediatory process where the community can be heard as well as whatever views the developers may have the state can can comment on it and like you said the heads of um, local municipal departments can all provide comments so that everybody can establish a joint solution that's suitable for all in this whole thing okay from my side then shukran nazir very much for concluding this program from my side ihsan higgins um i just want to say i want to thank the community for listening uh, to us this evening and hopefully we we were of service and of it cleared up a whole lot of issues in people's minds in respect of this onslaught against the community or rather various communities throughout the Western Cape throughout South Africa. So for those people that have sent us, you know, normal civil questions and criminal questions, you know, I'm sorry we didn't read your questions tonight, but you are welcome to contact uh, the, the legal cafe on 082-33-6378. And I repeat the number, 082-33-63778. And hopefully we can answer your question via WhatsApp. If not, we will invite you to come to the legal cafe and we will hopefully be able to assist you there. So from my side and from Nazir uh, uh, the Parker's side, you know, in studio, we say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The Legal Hour with Ihsan